Well, if you would, turn with me in your copies of Scripture to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. I just wanted to offer a brief word of thanks for those of you who uh, were so very helpful uh, this past week uh, in helping uh, my family uh, with the preparations to move, uh, especially those men who came out uh, yesterday and helped move uh, things into our truck uh, super quick, probably twice as fast as I thought they would. Uh, not, not to, sorry if I underestimated you, but uh, it was perfect for a day w- that started out at one degree and snow. So I'm uh, really grateful for that. I'm also very grateful uh, for all of you who encouraged uh, Nora and me over these past few months. Uh, in some ways, it feels like it was very long ago, uh, but also uh, pretty recent. Uh, so I just want to thank you for your encouragement as uh, we have uh, been working towards this move. I- I'm grateful to open God's Word with you. Uh, for those of you who are really hardcore about staying in the series, I'm sorry we're deviating a little bit. I wanted to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, those of you who have been here for six years, which there are many of you who are new, so I feel like this may be a new sermon for you, but those of you who have been around for a little bit may remember that my first series here was in 1 Thessalonians, and in God's kindness and providence, he led me to this book, and it has served as a guide to me uh, throughout my time here in ministry. And particularly these verses are verses that I have come back to again and again, uh, words of prayer, uh, things that I pray for myself, uh, and it's something that, um, yeah, have been a a bit of a a compass for me as a pastor here at Redeemer. Uh, So if you you would indulge me in this passage, uh, I hope that you find great encouragement in it as well. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we may not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct to you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you 
and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into His own kingdom and glory. So far the reading of God's Word. Let's ask His help now. Father, as we turn to this passage of Scripture, Lord, we trust that You are with us even now and that You will give understanding to our minds and our hearts, Lord, that uh, You will lead us to take away from it what You desire. Lord, if it need be comfort, Lord, that You would comfort us. If it need be conviction, Lord, that You would convict us. Lord, that if, if we need challenge, that You would challenge us and encourage us in our faith, Lord. We pray that You would set before us Christ and His glory and His grace, Lord, this morning. We pray these things in His name. Amen. Well, over the past decade and a half, there has been a growing awareness of the misdeeds of many who are in public ministry. This has stood at the forefront of, of many discussions of the church, not uh, the church's generosity, not the, uh, the church's uh, activism for orphans and for widows and for caring for the unborn, uh, but instead the controversies surrounding pastors who have misused their office, scandals surrounding priests in the Roman Catholic Church, cover-ups in the Southern Baptist Convention of pastors with pastors who have a, a record of harming children and protecting those who harm children. Podcasts like The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, focusing on the heavy-handedness of one pastor. And in my time here, I have heard many stories of, of experiences that you might have had, of, of the, the heavy-handedness of of, of pastors and elders in ministry, those, those who have done you harm and have caused you to question your faith, the church, and even Jesus Christ Himself. I, I think it's a, a wonderful thing that, that many of these, these sinful approaches to ministries have been identified and brought out into the light. This is a good thing. This is not the way that ministry is to be. And yet for many of us in the church, it leaves a bad taste in our mouths and it, it makes it hard to share that we're a Christian with our neighbors and our friends. What will they think of us? Are they going to associate us with that guy or with that ministry? So we clam up. We should know that this problem of of phony and insincere ministry was a reality in the church from the very beginning. We see all throughout the New Testament letters, the apostles are having to deal with false teachers and preachers who proclaim God's word with false motives. And in 1 Thessalonians, it, this, this perhaps is, is the earliest letter of Paul. He's already having to deal with with these guys who are saying that they are true when they are not, who hope to take advantage of the, the church in Thessalonica. And he's wanting to protect them, but also point to the legitimacy of his own ministry. And what Paul has to say about his ministry to this church is meant to be an encouragement for them, but for us too. What we learn from this passage this morning 
is that genuine ministry shares in the heart of Christ. So we should celebrate it when you experience. Genuine ministry is marked by the heart of Christ. So celebrate it when you experience it. And it's my hope that by, ex- by examining three qualities or marks of Paul's ministry among the Thessalonians, we would understand the heart of Christ better. Because that's the point. The point is not Paul or Silas. It's not Dan. It's not Jeff. It's not Jonathan. It's not any, of the, any other pastor or preacher of God's Word. It's about Christ and His heart set before His people So the first quality Paul talks about is is God-honoring speech. We see in verse 1, he he references that that his coming to them was not in vain. Rather, in verse 2, it says says that they had boldness in the face of much suffering. And if you're familiar with the book of Acts, you may remember that Paul and Silas had cast out a spirit from a fortune-telling slave girl which led them to being beaten and arrested. And despite this, they continue to proclaim the gospel, which led to the conversion of a jailer who was overseeing them in prison. What boldness they had. What what is the source of that boldness? Is this just a part of Paul's disposition? Is he he just a, a, a hearty man who can deal with criticism? That's not where he points to. The source of his boldness comes from God's approval. It's why he couldn't clam up. Paul notes that what was guiding them was not error or impurity. It was not that, that, that Paul had some sort of false belief about himself or, or he had some sort of false teaching. He also says that it was, he was not seeking to deceive people. He's not some trickster. He's not trying to to hoodwink anyone. Falsehood is often quickly abandoned in the face of persecution. Persecution helps refine and and prove the the validity of of these words that he has been proclaiming. So it's it's not any of these things that have been motivating Paul. It's not a, not a sense of his own worthiness even. Rather, it is the gospel that God has entrusted to Paul and his associates. That's what led them to press on. It was a conviction that God had called him to proclaim his word. That's what he was pressing towards. It's not his opinion he, he wasn't just spouting off some, some, some things that he had noticed. He wasn't trying to be a, an influencer of his day. Rather, he was pointing people to the truth of God. They knew the truth, and they felt compelled to share it. That was the source of his boldness. But we also see a, a, a goal to his speech as well. This those why he's bold is, is because he desires to please God. The goal of Paul and Silas's proclamation was to please the one in whom they had believed. If they had been concerned about man, they would have kept quiet. They're getting pressure from all around. They're, they're getting beaten and arrested. And if this was about pleasing man, they would have said, okay, we get it. You don't like this. 
you know, let's change our tune a little bit, maybe alter the message that's a little bit more agreeable to you. That way we stop getting beaten. But that's not their concern. It is the God who tests hearts. It is the God that they hope to honor. That is what motivates them. That's what they're aiming at, is to bring God all of the glory, all of the praise, in all of the places over all of the earth. We see that genuine ministry is is marked by God-honoring speech that leads to boldness, that leads to conviction when, when the pressure is turned up. This is not bravado. We see again and again, Paul, Paul views himself as, as weak, as inferior to some super apostles who had it all together. Paul's not marked by bravado. He's not marked by a conviction that, that he is something and that he wor- it's worth being heard because it's him. Don't we do that sometimes, even with some of our favorite preachers? He's worth hearing, so I'm going to listen to him. Rather than being convinced it's about the Word of God, is this the truth? Is this really what God has spoken? This has been a good challenge to me. There is a way of preaching God's Word that is motivated more out of the opinions of man rather than God's approval. There's a way of preaching that that is meant to tickle ears, to try to win you over to the preacher's side, that, 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 that people would be really sad when you leave. That is not Paul's aim, nor should that be the aim of any genuine ministry. And even you ministry leaders who do not preach God's Word, there's a way about going about these things in the church, in the life of the church, the ways that we're called to serve. That it's about, we can become about making it about ourselves. Elders, deacons, ministry leaders, we can do this from a motivation to bring us glory and us honor. Don't they run such a good program? Isn't he such a good deacon? He's my favorite elder. Is that what's motivating us? Or do we speak that we might honor God? Are we more concerned that we're going to offend someone who's been a supporter rather than offend the God who knows our hearts? We're called to pursue a genuine ministry, and that means having boldness in the face of opposition, that we might honor God because it's about His glory and His fame. That's the first mark of, God's, uh, of, of Paul's ministry. The second, I, I'm calling motherly care. Maybe that word stuck out to you as well there in verse 7. It says, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Paul, Paul begins this, this paragraph by talking about not being self-centered. They were not focused on making money off of their work, as, as would have been so common for traveling philosophers of their time. They were, they were not seeking to, to build themselves up in the eyes of others and, 
and take advantage. They were not seeking the praise and glory of of those who were, were being ministered to. Paul does note that it was well within their rights to receive payment. Uh, that, that, was, that was due to them because they're doing a good labor. And yet, he wants to highlight to them that, that, that they didn't receive payment because they wanted to make it all about the, the ministry and the word to these, these brothers and sisters. He didn't want them to have any sense that it was being motivated out of, well, I'm just doing this in order to make a paycheck. We all got to do something. Tent making has been really hard here, so, uh, you know, here's, you could uh, maybe supplement my income a little bit. They, they turned away from receiving payment in order to emphasize the genuineness of, of their ministry, that, that they're genuinely concerned and care for this church. He notes that, the, that they were gentle and in many ways is described as infa- affectionate. Rather than making demands and acting harshly, they were gentle. We, we see that with a, a nursing mother. You, if you have a small child, you do not expect them to contribute to the family. Like, what are you bringing? Well, then you'll get some milk, right? That's, that's how this works in this family. No, a, a, a nursing child is so helpless. They can offer you nothing. Rather, that you, you, you just give, and you give, and you give, because it's not about you. It's about this child and, and caring for their life. Paul was, was gentle among them. And this word for gentle is, is, that, is the same as infants, conveying the sense of being unskilled in the art of persuasion and, and manipulation. They were not manipulative. Rather, they were self-sacrificial and giving like a mother. The warmth of, of the love that Paul is seeking to convey comes out in verse 8 when he says, being affectionately desirous of you. Affectionately desirous. Paul is, is laying up words to, to express this deep longing. Like a, like a father who's gone away on, on, a tr- on a business trip and has been away for several days and looks at the phone and sees the picture of his family, longs to be home, longs for their embrace. That's, that's this being affectionately desirous, longing for them. Paul and his co-workers were inwardly compelled toward the Thessalonians because of their love for them. Not a love for their money, not a love for their possessions, not a love for their praise, but love for them. We see this as a a mark of genuine ministry. And us OPC types, us conservative reform types, us Bible-believing Christians, however you identify yourself, we can get so focused on the truthfulness of what is proclaimed and the, the goodness of preaching that we fail to remember that genuine ministry is, is also marked by a love, an affection, that those who labor among you care for you and love you and, and even are so affectionately desirous of your good that they are self-sacrificial in their care. 
many of you have been in churches where that's not been the case. I'm sorry. That's not what the church is supposed to be. There are some of you who who will go off to another church, and it's, it's my hope that you would not just look for true teaching. That is, that is for sure something that you must look for. If, if, if a church is not proclaiming the word of God in faithfulness, you should flee. But don't set your standards so far low that you also miss out on this side. That there would be a warmth and a love for you. Ministry is at its best when it's coming from a sincere love for those that you're ministering to. And I can confess, as a pastor, sometimes it's hard. Don't take this the wrong way. Sometimes you're hard to love. But like a parent, it's because of my longing for you. It's my desire for you to know the love of Christ and abound in His grace. And when I don't see that, it it hurts. It's unfortunate that there are just so many pastors out there and ministries that let their love grow cold and start being motivated by paying the bills and staying employed. That is not what ministry is about. Eventually, that grows into a callous that turns you away from people and others. I've always found this passage to be a great warning because people are hard. It's easy to let yourself grow bitter. Paul would encourage us to keep our hearts soft and open toward one another. And especially for those who lead in the church towards the people of God. That's the second quality, motherly care. God-honoring speech, motherly care, and finally, fatherly commitment. We see that genuine ministry is one that that is like being a father, as as Paul describes in in verses 9 through 11. The the role of a father in, in ancient society was to provide for the educational advancement of their children, whether it was in the home or they trained a tutor, it was, it was the job of the father to, to provide the coin in order for that to happen. But the education was a, a means for their child to be a, a, a member of society, to, to participate in the, 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 the workforce, notably their own work that they owned uh, as a family. And so it was the father's job to be concerned about seeing his children grow into maturity, uh, to become who they are supposed to be. And we see that that Paul highlights his, his labor and his toil not burdening this church. He wants nothing to hinder their growth. If, if, if they're having to pay his bills, they might have to miss out on a, on a Bible study or a worship service. And that's not what he wants. He wants them to be able to p- fully participate in the life of the church that they might grow, that they might grow into full maturity in Christ. We see as well that Paul highlights his blameless conduct, and this is important because it is critical, if you're a father, that you would be modeling to your children 
what a blameless and righteous life looks like. And that, that's intimidating. It's, it's supposed to be. We're all sinners and fall short. But even as fathers, we're called to, to repent and model that repentance to our kids when we do fall short. Paul was, was seeking to model what it looked to, like to walk worthily of the gospel. And notice, walking worthily is not meaning that, that we would walk in such a way that we would earn our salvation. Rather, having received salvation, there's a way of walking in step with that. If you've played on a sports team, you, you, you are whatever that, that team is, and you're seeking to, to show that, that I'm on this team too. This is who we are. We are called to, to blameless conduct, and especially those who are leaders in the church. We're called to walk in such a way that you could look at our lives and say, that's what I'm supposed to be aiming for. Again, not that you would see in us perfection, but that you would see in us a, a, a life of holiness, a life that is pursuing Christ with, with all that we are, and when we recognize that we're not, that we're repentant. Pastors are called to be the chief repenters of their church. And I can tell you, I've, I've failed in that here. But we are called to strive toward that. We would be a model to you. But it also includes living close enough to you that you would see that. That you would see our manner of life and you would take note. This is why pastors and and elders are called to be above reproach, is that you would look to, to these, these examples and seek to take what is good and reject what is bad. We see Paul talking about being devoted to the task. That's the emphasis here is his fatherly commitment, that, that he's laboring hard in such a way that, that he has taken all of the burden on himself that he would not be a burden to this church. We see then how great his devotion is, is seeking to encourage the greater maturity, that they would walk worthily, that they would come and, into full manhood or womanhood in Christ and be pursuing not just works that provide food for, for their hands or for, for their mouths, but that they would provide good works that provide goodness for those around them, and bear a righteous harvest. This is what Paul's aiming for, is his fatherly commitment. And, and these three things are what mark genuine ministry. These are the things that pastors are to be aiming at, that, that elders and deacons should be concerned in, in pursuing. It's what ministry leaders, youth group leaders, Sunday school teachers, in, in some very real sense, should be pursuing, because this is... This is a model. As I noted, this is, this is Paul's earliest letter that he wrote. It's, it's while he's ministering among the Thessalonian church. But these three qualities are something that are meant to take root wherever he goes. You can see similar kinds of language, maybe not the exact same phrasing, but similar kinds of ideas scattered all throughout his letters. He wants to see all three of these qualities wherever he went. 
But why is that? Why are these his marks? Did these just seem like a good idea to him? To be committed to preaching the word boldly, to caring like a mother, and to being committed like a father. It's because these are the qualities that, that show forth the heart of Christ. We see that, that, that Christ is consumed by all three of these qualities. He, he sought to honor his father bodily. Why did he stand so bold in the face of, of persecution and opposition? It was for us, for our salvation, but it was, it was ultimately to bring greatest glory and honor to his father. We see as well that, that Christ, as Paul says in Philippians 2, that though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He humbled himself. He gave of himself. He committed himself to redeem us from lawlessness and purify for himself a people of his own possession who are zealous for good works. He died that we might walk worthily of the gospel. He died that we might come to full maturity in him. What Paul is describing here is the very heart of Christ. And this is how Christ leads his church today. This is how he leads Christians today. Ordinarily through his church and through ministers who you have called to serve among you. Through, through elders and deacons that you have elected and put forth. This is how Christ loves you in, in some way. It's why this is so significant. It is it's about Christ ministering among you. It's, it's not about the pastors. It's not about the elders. It's not about the deacons or ministry leaders or whoever else serves in the church. It's about Christ caring for his people. It's about the heart of Christ being put on display that many would know that he is still alive in heaven working here by his spirit. It is natural for us to be critical and grumble about the weaknesses of those who lead us. But when we see the goodness of Christ displayed in their life and in their ministry, we should, we should think of Christ and give thanks to Him, and we should celebrate. Now that might feel kind of on the nose today, and I'm sorry. But again, this is not about me. Whenever you see someone ministering faithfully, you should celebrate that Christ is at work. If there's a, a pastor who made an impact on your life so long ago, you, you should reach out to them and give thanks to them whenever you think of them. If, there's a, if, there's a, if you see a, a pastor living in a self-sacrificial way in order to build you up, you should celebrate that. Celebrate this privately to the Lord in, in, his, in your prayers. In the time that you, you spend with your family, highlight that, that your children would long to look for that in their future churches as well. If, the, if they go off, that they would look for that. We should, be, we should give, be giving thanks and celebrating the goodness of Christ that we see in the church 
privately, but we also need to be doing this publicly as well. Because as I noted at the very beginning, the message that people in our communities is getting is that the church is a harmful and dangerous place, a place for, those, for predators and people who want to take advantage of you to, to, to be lifted up. And so when you publicly celebrate the, the work of Christ in the church that you're a part of, you, you, you can send a different message to your neighbor, the, the neighbor who is grieving the loss of their spouse and is looking for help but, but doesn't want to go to the church because they've heard that people don't care. It, it, whenever you celebrate publicly that, that, that your church is, has been such an encouragement to you through, through a difficult time, maybe there's challenges in your marriage, you're your neighbor who hears that or your friend who hears that might be drawn to, to come to church and, and receive help as well. The gospel is put on display as we, as we celebrate the goodness of Christ that we see in the church. So we should celebrate privately, but celebrate publicly too the goodness and the love and care of Christ that you see put on display in church leadership. So let's celebrate the heart of Christ. Let's celebrate it when we experience it, if we've experienced it in the past or we experience it now. Not that this church would look great, not that any particular pastor would look great, but that Christ would look glorious, that we would adorn the gospel in such a way that many would come to know him and place their faith in him, he who is the good shepherd of his sheep. Amen. Let's go to him now. Christ, we thank you that you have given us your word, Lord, that we would know what genuine ministry is, Lord, for, so that those who do serve would, would forsake all patterns of, of self-lifting uh, up and pride. Lord, but also that we would all look for your goodness at work in the church. Lord, I pray that you would bless Redeemer in this, that you would continue to provide good, loving, self-sacrificial, committed ministry leaders and elders and deacons and pastors. Lord, that the church here might be built up, experience the healing for for the wounds that have been afflicted to them. Lord, not that that Redeemer's name would be great in this community, but that your name would be magnified, that many would come and see your goodness put on display here. Lord, we thank you that, that we can ask for something so big, something so beyond us, because you are here at work among your people. Lord, we pray these things in your name. Amen.